And all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Thank you, Tim. If you observe little children, say three, four, or five, drawing, you can almost predict which side of the brain dominance they're going to grow up being. For example, if children draw within definable uh, borders, circles, squares, triangles, you know that probably, most likely, they're going to have a left-side brain dominance. If they're kind of free-spirited in the way they draw all over the place, you know they have a right-side brain dominance. Now, scientists have been telling us for years that the left-side hemisphere of the brain <clears throat> is the side that is associated with logical analysis, um, rational judgments. The right side of the brain hemisphere is associated with visual imagery, uh, word pictures, uh, creativity, and emotional response. Some have left side hemisphere dominance, some have right side hemisphere dominance. Well, by now, probably some of you, I know you well enough to know, some of you are saying, Michael, what has this got to do with loving Jesus? <laughs> and growing in your love for Jesus, which is the series that we have begun several weeks ago. A great deal, but I'm glad you asked. Understanding ourselves and understanding our differences from others, it helps us a great deal to know that different people respond differently to the gospel. There are some people respond to the love of God, some people respond to the judgment of God, that different people respond to the gospel differently. Uh, some people express their love for God differently. Some people express their love for one another differently. I'll let you on a secret here. In my sermon preparation time, uh, I, I spent a great deal, once I got the text and the message or the passage or whatever it is, got the, the exposition right, I spend a great deal of time trying, at least in, under God and under the leading of the Holy Spirit and the leadership of the Holy Spirit, to think of how I'm going to communicate with those who are right side and those who are left side brain dominance. To those who are left side brain dominance, I try to communicate with rational and logical thoughts. And to those who are right side brain dominance, I like uh, <clears throat> to try to communicate with uh, imagination and uh, visualization and imaging and so forth. But before I get to the very core of this message, which is very important, I want to give you a freebie on the house. This is just an added bonus. You didn't have to pay for that. I'm just going to give it to you. <clears throat> I want to speak to parents especially parents, but also teachers, business leaders, responsible executives. Like it or not, 
We are all communicators. We're all communicators. Whether we agree, whether we like it or not, we are all communicators. And it is of uttermost importance for all of us to remember not everyone to whom we communicate <laughs> will have, uh, they will receive the same information, but they will respond to it differently. My goodness, if I, I, if I, if, if I had not done this with my four children, whom, you know, all adults and all love God now, that if I had not done that, I would be knee-deep in trouble. Um, they were all different as chalk and cheese. I mean, they were every, every one of them was different. They hear things differently. They respond differently. Uh, they react differently. <laughs> now, parents, we often make a mistake, and I made my fair share of them. We often make the mistake when we think that all our children should respond to the same information all the same way. <laughs> there are some people, some parents who push their children into area they have no aptitude in it, or they don't have a brain-side dominance in it, and, and creates problem. But listen to me. You cannot expect an accountant or an engineer to excel as a salesman. I just, that's, it's just a fact of life. Now, there are some exceptions, of course, but according to statistics, this is between 3 to 4 percent, where they have both side brain dominance. Oh, you can't expect an entrepreneur to be an administrator. <laughs> and that is why I believe the Word of God is very clear. Some of the old translation doesn't translate it accurately in terms of when the book of Proverbs says, train your child in the way he should go, right? Actually, the literal translation, train your child in the way he is bent or she is bent, and build on that. We all build differently. We are bent differently. Uh, but when it comes to our love for God, when it comes to our love for God, listen carefully, both sides of the brain hemisphere have to be engaged. They have to be involved. Ah, but listen to me, because I know some of you were questioning some of the things I said in the last part of the series. But you're going to find not equally. You're going to find one of those areas are going to tower over the other. It's going to tower over the other. You will find that there are some people who love God with all of their intellect, but they don't know how to love God with their soul, or they, one dominates over the other. That's why the Bible said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. One of them is going to tower over the other. So don't have false guilt when I talk about one area or, or the other, okay? In this series, we began with the mind. Love God with all your mind, the seat of the intellect, that left-side dominance. You love God with all your heart. That is your personality, your emotion. That's the right-side dominance. And today, I want to talk to you about loving God with your soul. 
Remember the Bible talks about in the days of Noah and the days of Lot, the imagination of all their soul is evil. Now, we want to talk about the imagination of your soul to be all holy today. Amen? Loving Jesus, beloved, listen to me, whether you, which is, whatever side you're on, but listen. Loving Jesus must capture our imagination. Loving Jesus must also capture our emotion. Loving Jesus must capture our visualization. Listen, I'm painfully aware of the fact that because of abuses, I'm aware of that, even in the Christian church, the abuses of imagination and visualization concept, that some people, my side of the gang, the, my gang, the, the Reformed tradition, uh, those folks in the Reformed tradition like me, um, because of the abuses, they tend to throw the baby with the bathwater. What do I mean by this? Now, those who are mostly or only challenged with the logical analysis of the Scripture, they look at these abuses of imagination and visualization and say, see, see what happens when you do not only, only, only use logical analysis? And they look down their noses at those who are drawn to visual imageries of the Scripture. And those who are motivated by visual imagery of the Word of God accuse those who mostly react with the logical analysis side as cold and emotionless. And so, my beloved friend, here's the truth. They both are right and they both are wrong. Is that double talk? No. Hear me right. If we love one another, we must accept the fact that we do not all respond in the same way. Uh, if we truly love one another, we must accept the fact that those whose thinking process differ from ours, they're not bad or crazy or cold or nuts or inferior. They're different. Can I get an amen? amen? I cannot express that strongly enough. I cannot express it strongly enough because I've seen churches literally get divided over this when they're both people saying the same thing and they're just thinking differently. I already told you we have wonderful four grandchildren who are different, and they love the Lord differently. Uh, each of them process information differently. Each of them respond uh, to events differently. Each of them love Jesus and express that love for Jesus differently. Listen, anyone who knows me and my wife, you know how different we are. I mean, let me tell you something. I know there's everybody, every couple are different, but we're from different planets. <laughs> and for nearly 52 years, we're trying to bring those planets together. <laughs> but we're now satisfied that the planets are revolving around the same, <laughs> around the same orbit. <laughs> we gave up on that. <laughs> and we naturally 
express our love for each other different, and we express our love for Jesus differently. But we both love Jesus with all of our heart, all of our mind, and all of our soul. Now, what is the application for those millions of people watching in Kingdom Sat all around the world and for those watching online and for here in this wonderful sanctuary? What is the application here? Please listen very carefully. Those who, tr- who thrive on logical analysis of the Scripture should try to use their imagination. And those who are into imagination, visualization, must be controlled by the meaning of the text. Do not imagine anything that is not in the Scripture. And that, with that very brief introduction, I get to the message. <laughs> I always get to the message, but I like to set it up first. How do I love Jesus with all my imagination? The most important thing that I can tell you is this. Again, I repeat it. Never, 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 never make things up about Jesus other than what's in the Word of God, other than what's in the Scripture. I do not imagine or visualize things that are not in the infallible Word of God. You take what's in the Word of God and create a visual picture. Perhaps many of you have already gathered that this is where I am. I'm a lot more in this camp than I am in the analytical side. Um, Somebody told me years ago that when I said I have no brain side dominance, he said, yeah, I always thought your brain dead. (laughs) But perhaps more than any other in this series, today I'm sharing my heart with you my own life, because imagination and visualization represents me more than anything else, and I just need to tell you that up front. So when I read the Word of God, when I read the Scripture, I often begin to visualize this, how the creator of the universe went through that crucifixion week. When I begin to visualize that, literally, my mind it just cannot handle it. And I, but I do try to imagine what it was like, especially that I've been there many times now, and I, I, I've seen the sights, I've walked the streets, and I've, I, I've seen the places. I think of the day before the crucifixion of how our Savior must have felt, how deeply in every level he must have anguished at the abandonment of his friends, 
how must have felt when one of them sold him for the price of a slave? How one denied him and they all forsook him? I visualize the deep pain that our Lord must have experienced when his chief disciple promised never, never, even if they all leave him, he will never leave him. And then three times he denied any knowledge of him. I visualize that pain. How as fully God, he knew that they will all forsake him, but as fully man, how that pained him. How the one through whom and for whom all the universe came into existence, and yet they slapped his holy face. How he must have felt the giver of every breath that we draw. They spat on him. I visualize what it's like during that sleepless night in Caiaphas's basement. It's really more of a dungeon. It's only a hole in the wall of the ceiling. I've been there many times. And there you're going to find Psalm 22, which supposedly our Lord recited all night. And it's in more than 20 languages. Psalm 22, in that, in that I, I read it the first time I went to many years ago, but I've never been able to do it again. I always had somebody else to read it. But that was just the beginning. I visualize how he walked two and a half miles to and from trial sites. And then I remember that he did this for me. I tried to visualize what was like even before that in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was sweating, not sweat, but blood coming out of his pores. Something that I've learned later that it's a phenomenon that's so rare that it only happens during some of the most excruciating stress. And he did this for me and for my sin. Then my biggest imagination races to that dreadful time before the crucifixion when he was being flogged, which is really the Roman method of exhausting their victim before the crucifixion. In fact, under Roman law, only women and senators not allowed to be whipped like this. Then I try to visualize these short whips with straps, leather straps, and at the tip of each one of those straps there is a sheep bone 
designed to tear into the skin. Most likely he received 39 of those because by law they wouldn't go to 40 because the 40th one's supposed to kill you. And he did this for me. The Romans generally stripped the victims of their clothes and they tied their hands above their head on an upright post. The back of the buttocks and the legs get whipped first. And he bore all of this for me. As the flogging would continue, these little sheep bones at the end of the straps would tear deep into the skin until the underlying skeletal muscles begin to tear. And he did this for my sin. Then came the crucifixion itself, an upright wooden post about 200 pounds is fixed to the ground. And the horizontal crossbar that would weigh about 100 pounds. It was customary those days that the condemned man would carry the crossbar because the post is already in the ground in location. Please listen to me. The creator of all the trees in the woods carried that crossbar. From the flogging post to the location of the crucifixion, he carried that 100-pound crossbar, and he did this for my sin. And then I'd imagine the lack of food and water, and sleep for a long period of time, and carrying that 100-pound crossbar for one-third of a mile. And he did this for me. At the site of the execution, by law, the victim was given bitter drink as a mild sedative. And then he was thrown on his back on the dirt in preparation for nailing his hand to that crossbar. And I think of the wounds from the scourging mixed with the dirt contaminating his wounds. And he did this for me. And with an arms outstretched, the nails, the wrists were nailed with spikes or about six to seven inches. And the reason they hammered the wrists, not the palms, because the palm would tear very quickly and would fall from the cross. And he hung in there. for a while because they nailed the wrists. After both wrists were fastened to the spikes, to the crossbar, 
then that crossbar is lifted with the victim on it on the steps. Then the feet were usually nailed directly to the front post. And he did all of this for me. Now, beloved, don't ever forget, this is the Lord of glory. This is the Lord of glory who did not have to leave the splendor of heaven, who did not have to leave the glories of heaven. Jesus did not have to lie aside, lay aside the robe of his glory and splendor. Jesus did not have to come to earth, but he came from heaven so that he may pay with his blood for my redemption. So he paid the penalty of my sin and yours. Someone will say, but Michael, then a lot of people tortured and suffered and died, and even before and after. Jesus, even today, there are people who are suffering torture all over the world. Yes, 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 yes. But most of them, if not all of them, don't have a choice. But he did. He did. Furthermore, none of them were sinless. None of them are sinless. None of them were the Son of the living God who eternally coexisted with the Father before all worlds. Uh, but Jesus is the one through whom and for whom all things were created. He had a choice. He chose to pay for my sin and yours. He didn't have to pay for his He had no sin. He was not paying for his sin. In the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up, and I choose to lay it down for you. Beloved, let me tell you, if you want to grow in your love for Jesus, and this is the series we've been going through now. This is the fifth, and next week we'll talk about how you grow in your love for Jesus with your memory. If you truly want to grow in your love for Jesus, you cannot escape the imagery of the cross. Visualizing the cross can only deepen your love for the one who gave his all for you and me. And there may be someone still saying, well, Michael, isn't meditation, imagination, visualization dangerous? Don't the Buddhists and other groups of people meditate and visualize, and therefore Christians should avoid that? No, not at all. Buddhists and others meditate on emptying their minds of any thoughts, any distracting thoughts, and then focus their attention on whatever comes to their mind. <laughs> I say no and a million no to that kind of meditation. No. And that is why Christian meditation, imagination, visualization is all about Christ. It's all about Christ filling our minds. It's all about emptying ourselves of self-worship 
and filling our minds with the one who gave his all for us. It's all about filling our minds with that indescribable and inexplicable love of God. It's filling our minds with that matchless love of Jesus for us. And after you fill your mind with His matchless, indescribable love, then ask yourself the following questions. Do I love Him back anywhere near His love for me? Do I love Him back with my all? Do I love Him back sacrificially? Do I love Him back unconditionally? Do I love Him back with my possessions? Do I love Him back with my energy? Do I love Him back with my time? Do I love Him back with my emotions? Do I love Him back with my passion? Do I love Him back with my imagination? I want you to think as I bring this message to a climax, to a conclusion. I want you to imagine yourself hopelessly in debt, and the amount of money that you owe, you could not even accumulate if you had 100 lifetimes, not 100 years, but 100 lifetimes, is an impossibility, or else you would die a terrible death. There is no loopholes in the law, no pre-bargain agreement. The only option is horrible death of the worst kind. But then somebody steps in, and he gives his all to pay your debt and save your neck. Question, for the, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? For the rest of your life, you're going to react to that person. How are you going to react to that person for the rest of your life? <laughs> you want to take him home for the rest of your life. You're going to uh, think of him every waking moment, <laughs> every time. Uh, you, 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 would, you would look at him, and you, and you want to literally bow your head in gratitude. Every dollar you earn, you want to share with him. Every meal you eat, you want to share with him. Every joy you experience, you want to share with him. And you could do this all of your life, and you still feel you have not expressed enough gratitude for the love that He's shown to you. Now, beloved, you often hear me say, even though that's the way I feel about Jesus, I know no human illustration ever perfect. No human illustration can truly explain the divine. But if we feel the need to express gratitude to a human being who saved earthly life, how much more expressing our gratitude to the one who eternally saved us, eternally saved us. Jesus did not only die and rose again from the grave victoriously on the third day to save us eternally. That would have been enough. That's all we need. That's completely enough for, for our needs. But there is more. <laughs> you see, <clears throat> He died to set us free from sin and the slavery of sin. He died to set us free from the punishment of sin. He died to redeem us. 
He died to justify us. He died to bless us. He died as our substitute. He died to heal us eternally. He died to adopt us by, to His Father as sons and daughters. He died to save us. He died to reconcile us with His Father. He died and rose again to assure us of our own resurrection and eternal life with Him forever. <clears throat> In a moment, we're going to come walk down these aisles to gratefully receive the symbols of His torn flesh and poured out body. Let me plead with you, this time when you walk down these aisles, to come and receive those symbols of His flesh and of His blood. Don't do it just out of habit. Don't do it because this is what we do once a month. Now, as you walk down, praise Him with gratitude and thanksgiving for what He's done for you. Amen. Amen. And amen. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me, please? <clears throat> Father, if we spend every waking moment in gratitude and thanksgiving to you and to your Son, Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we could not do justice. We could not thank you enough. I'm so grateful that John the Revelator has taken a glimpse of heaven and showed us that in eternity we're going to be spending it in praising you, the Lamb who was slain, the King of glory. But Father, with our limited imagination, limited thoughts and limited mind, we ask you to accept and receive this gratitude and thanksgiving for what you have done for us. For we praise you now and forever in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.